and welcome back to and welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Dee Dotson. The holiday season is upon us and all Hoosiers are being encouraged to support Indiana small businesses by ordering the Indiana Grow Holiday Box, which is the perfect gift for friends and family around the country who could use some Hoosier hospitality. Joining us now is Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, who will discuss with us the Indiana Main Street Program, what the state is doing to help end food insecurity, as well as newly awarded grants that will directly impact economic development right here in the region. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. It's good to be with you, Dee, if not in person, at least um, virtually. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, I always love to chat with you each month because you really help us to understand the hard work this administration does on behalf of all Hoosiers day in and day out, as well as how our tax dollars are being put to work. So I want to start our conversation today with Governor Holcomb's recent announcement of the state awarding 188 communities across the state, including right here in the region, community crossing grants for road and bridge projects. And I should note that Northwest Indiana municipalities and counties were collectively awarded $11.4 million, ranging from just over $41,000 in Beverly Shores to the annual limit of $1 million in five jurisdictions. So talk about the impact of these grants on economic development as well as job creation. Absolutely, Dee. You know, I came from local government um, down in southwest Indiana, uh, Vandenberg County. In fact, one of the things I really like about northwest Indiana is you all are on central time. <laughs> but when I was yeah. a county commissioner and a county auditor, I came to realize how important it was for the state and local communities to really collaborate and so I'm really proud that the state and local governments are collaborating on the community crossing grants uh, that are put forth by NDOT. Uh, and, and they are taken up by local communities who have really gone through the steps to show that they actually have a plan for their communities when it comes to roads and when it comes to bridges. And so this community crossing grants really are grants to be able to invest in our roads and our bridges to make them better throughout Indiana. And we know that is incredibly important for safety measures, but it's also critically important for economic development. I remember when I was a county commissioner and I was complaining one day about all the orange cones that were on the road. And someone said to me, they said, Suzanne, don't ever complain about orange cones. Because when you see orange cones, it means money is being put into infrastructure. And infrastructure is what drives economic development. So when the locals and the state are able to partner through these community crossing grants, being able to put money into infrastructure and into our roads and bridges throughout Indiana, we know that that drives economic development. It creates jobs but it also makes our roads and our bridges safer for the people who travel them. And as you mentioned, 18 communities in Northwest Indiana uh, received money this round. In fact, several of them received the maximum grant amount, which was $1 million. That's the most you can get. And those communities were Crown Point, East Chicago, Hammond, Merrillville, 
Lake County and LaPorte County. And so money is being invested through that partnership in the roads and bridges and infrastructure there in Northwest Indiana. We know that drives economic development and it benefits the people who travel those roads and bridges. And it is even more now important for us right here in the region as we continue to see a migration from Illinois over to northwest Indiana. So, it, again, it is extremely um, important and necessary funds. And so we, we thank the governor. We thank you guys for granting those grants right here in the region. Oh, absolutely. But you all earn them because there's a process you have to go through. It's a competitive process. So, you know, we, we were able to partner with you all, but you all took the steps to be able to earn those grants for the people that live in your community. So kudos to you. So Lieutenant Governor Crouch, the holiday season is upon us. And in just a few days, most of us will be heading to the big box stores for that Black Friday sale and shopping online for those Cyber Monday deals. But I want to talk to you about what one of your agency's initiatives are to support small businesses across the Hoosier State, including Small Business Saturday. Take a moment to talk about what your office has been doing to help small businesses across the Hoosier State. Well, absolutely. One of the agencies I oversee is the Office of Community and Rural Affairs, or OCRA. And that agency actually has the Main Street Initiative. Uh, Main Streets all over Indiana are thriving, and we're investing in them because we know that when we have vibrant Main Streets, we have vibrant communities. And when we have a vibrant Main Street and a vibrant downtown, that increases assessed valuation. It also creates jobs and it brings tourists to our downtown areas. So we are supporting and promoting Small Business Saturday, which will take place to be able to help and bolster the activity in small businesses after Black Friday, where you can go to your main streets or small businesses and do your holiday shopping there. And in Northwest Indiana, you have some really, really vibrant main streets. They're in Michigan City, in Knox, in North Liberty, Mishawaka, Rensselaer, Plymouth, and Remington. So not only those communities, but every community that has a downtown, we're, in, we're really encouraging and highlighting and promoting Small Business Saturday after Black Friday to be able to encourage people to invest in their downtown, help those communities grow, and buy something local. Uh, There's nothing better than opening up a gift on Christmas morning from a business in your own community because you not only get to enjoy that unique and, and personal gift that comes from that business, but you're also able to support your community and support those small businesses that are making Indiana as great as it can be. Speaking of supporting locally, buying locally, what is Indiana Grown Holiday Box? I've just learned about this, so I I hope you can share with our listening audience what that is. Sure. Well, Indiana Grown is a program that was started a number of years ago to promote and to market those Indiana businesses that have Indiana grown products. And that means products that are grown, produced, or processed here in Indiana. And we have over 2,000 small businesses and large businesses throughout Indiana that are Indiana grown. And when you get, when you buy products from an Indiana grown designated store and products that are there in that store, you know you're supporting your neighbors and you're getting. You're getting products that came from Indiana. And so we have holiday boxes 
full of Hoosier products that can be shipped anywhere. It's the perfect gift for friends and family who don't live in Indiana or who do live in Indiana. Uh, we only have prepared 170 boxes, so we have a limited amount of these holiday boxes. But each box contains products from six Indiana-grown businesses. So uh, Goshen Strawberry Jam, uh, which is you know not too far from where you all are, uh, will be one of those products. But we have hot sauce, we have honey bee, honey, uh, we have popcorn, strawberry jam, the alpaca dryer balls, which quite honestly are wonderful when you're drying your clothes. Uh, and then the Hoosier National Soap um, from a company in Greenfield. So you can put forth your products, you can you know, purchase these um, boxes. As I said, we only have 170. They're $70 a piece. We have a three-day ground in with tracking and insurance. Uh, so you can go to uh, www.in.gov backslash ISDA Indiana Grown and be able to put in your order and get some Indiana products that your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones can enjoy at Christmas time and support Indiana companies here. All right, so Lieutenant Governor Crouch, before I let you go, you know, speaking of the holiday season, I would be remiss if I did not discuss an issue for many Hoosiers right now, and that is food insecurity. You know, since the pandemic and even navigating through rising inflation, some families are really having a tough time. And as a matter of fact, the Indiana General Assembly recognized the need to support Hoosiers as well by appropriating a historic $2 million to food banks across the Hoosier state, including $195,000 to the Food Bank of Northwest Indiana. And we, we spoke in great detail about this earlier this summer. Now, one agency under your leadership, the Indiana State Department of Agriculture, was responsible for ensuring those much-needed funds were distributed to all 11 food banks across the state that will help soup kitchens, food pantries, and so much more. But here's something that I, that I have observed as of late. You know, most of us, we, we go about our day, we wave to our neighbors, greet them in passing, but I don't think we truly understand the record number of Hoosiers that, that sadly sometimes are forced to make the decision to choose between paying their utility bill and buying their turkey for the holiday meal, right? So take a moment to talk about what your office is doing to ensure that Hoosiers don't face food insecurity. Absolutely. You know, I, I find that my biggest challenge is to get outside the little world I live in and realize that other people's worlds maybe aren't as good as my world. One out of six families here in Indiana go hungry uh, and are, suffer from food insecurity. And it's hard to believe in a country and in a state that is so prosperous that we actually have children and we have, you know, families that don't have enough food uh, do not have food at all. And so what we were able to do this past budget session, we were able to double the amount of money that was going to food banks to be able to help Hoosiers during this very troubling time. We know that it's important that, you know, we give to others during this holiday season. Um, I, I know that there's going to be a um, you know, right after Thanksgiving, uh, we, we always have at the State House uh, the Poultry Association, Indiana Poultry Association will donate, you know, uh, chickens and 
frozen turkeys and, you know, poultry to be able to help feed our Hoosiers through the food banks. And so I, I think, thank you for bringing that up because we, you know, live in our worlds and, you know, I know that I live in my little world and I certainly am not going hungry at night, but there are people here in our Hoosier state that do go hungry. And so uh, it's important that we support our food banks. It's important that here during the holiday season, we realize that at Thanksgiving, which is next week, you know, as we all sit down for our traditional holiday meals, there are people that are not having holiday meals. And so let's take the time to be able to give a little to those who are really in need of that food and, and, and that, you know, sense of security that comes from, you know, having food that, you know, is nourishing our bodies and our minds and, and making us healthy. Um, so, you know, we do it through, you know, the monies that we appropriate through the state, but we each can do it personally through, you know, our own personal donations of either food or canned foods or money to those who are in need. So I would encourage everyone to, you know, to reach out to their local food bank or food pantry and see if there's anything they can provide that will help those users that are struggling. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, I think that is a great way to end our conversation for today. Your appeal for everyone across the Hoosier State, including right here in Northwest Indiana, to just look out for their neighbor. Again, I thank you for joining us virtually on Regionally Speaking. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. I look forward to being with you, Dee, and have a happy Thanksgiving. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. The Federal Open Market Committee met in early November, maintaining the federal funds rate in a range between 5.25% and 5.5%, the second consecutive meeting where the committee has kept the rate unchanged. This is the first time the committee has kept the funds rate unchanged at two consecutive meetings since it began to raise the Fed funds rates in early 2022. PNC Financial Services Group economist Ershang Leong joins us now to unpack the FOMC's post-meeting statement that notes, quote, economic activity expanded at a strong pace in the third quarter. Ershang, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me uh, today, Dee. So, Ershang, what's new for the economy? Uh, yeah, a couple things uh, I want to talk about today. Uh, so first, uh, the, the important thing, we got the uh, third quarter GDP report came out very hot and actually higher than our expectations. But we do think that, you know, the outpacing in personal consumption on goods, both durable goods and non-durable goods, especially big ticket consumer purchases, that outpacing then services is not sustainable with a slowing wage growth in the fourth quarter entering 2024. Uh, we actually have seen contractionary evidence in the manufacturing industry as well as uh, the labor market. We had a, a job report number came out this morning. Uh, but for uh, the manufacturing industry, you know, it's important for Indiana. It's not a surprise to have another contractionary reading for the manufacturing industry since the Federal Reserve Bank has started uh, the monetary tightening cycle. Uh, and the manufacturing industry has been in contraction for a year now. But the new orders in uh, October, you know, that index uh, uh, from the survey has dropped to the lowest since May of this year. 
and that is showing a weaker demand still going on and actually coincides with PNC's mild recession call. And other than that, we see hiring trends of manufacturers also took the hardest hit among other components. You know, other than July, it is otherwise the weakest result for the hiring in the post-pandemic era. Um, so for the job number came up this morning, um, the U.S. economy added about 150,000 jobs. This is the weakest job growth since June, but I should bring it up that it's no big surprise with the UAW strike going on. There was a decline of 33,000 in employment in motor vehicle and parts manufacturing due to the UAW strike against the big three automakers. Um, with the strike now settled employment, uh, it should bounce back in uh, November. We see that, you know, the job growth was revised lower in previous months, too, and uh, the unemployment rates uh, rise a little bit to about 3.9% after being uh, 3.8% and flat in the previous two months. Uh, and labor force participation rates um, also uh, slight a little bit, uh, but the big message here is, you know, um, it, it, the, job, the job report is encouraging because we are seeing um, a much more uh, slowing inflation, and and the job growth is gradually easing. Unemployment is up from uh, earlier uh, in in a year earlier, but remains very low. Wage growth is cooling. Uh, it's a good message for uh, the Federal Reserve, and um, the jobs report support PNC's forecast for no increase in Fed funds rate at the FOMC next meeting, which is on December 13th. Uh, but there will be uh, one more job report between now and then. So, okay, Orshan, the FMOC met on Wednesday, November the 1st. What are some of the implications of that meeting? Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it basically uh, the meeting uh, decision was no, was no surprise. The, the Federal Open Market Committee maintained the federal funds rate unchanged. Uh, this is the first time the committee has kept the uh, Fed funds rate unchanged at two consecutive meetings since it began to raise the Fed funds rate in early 2022. Um, you know, during the discussion of the current economic outlook, uh, the statement, you know, noted job gains have been moderated and inflation still elevated and the job markets remain strong. Uh, but um, the, today, you know, uh, we think that the FOMC statement was shortly as expected. And uh, uh, at PNC, we forecast that uh, the FOMC will continue to keep the current Fed funds rate unchanged into 2024. But at the meeting, the FOMC maintained a bias toward raising the Fed funds rate uh, further. And uh, uh, right now, the Fed funds rate future market is pricing in about a 90% probability, no change in the Fed funds rate on December 13th, and about only a 10% probability of another uh, 25 basis point rate increase. Urshan, so before I let you go, I have to ask you, has PNC changed its forecast? And to that point, what are some of the economic forecasts in the coming months? Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, PNC's economic outlook has changed uh, since September, indeed. Uh, that is mainly due to the Fed's hawkish stance on interest rate policy, which is, uh, you know, keeping interest rate higher for longer in 2024. 
uh, the projected interest rates are now higher for 2024. You know, that is indicating continued monetary tightening next year, which will continue to weigh on the U.S. economy than our previous forecast. But we still think the most likely outcome is the mild recession in 2024, but we have pushed back the starting time of the likely mild recession in mid-2024, given the strong GDP numbers and employment data uh, coming out before October. Uh, basically, consumers were held up better than expected with the strong U.S. labor market. We see consumption on goods had outpaced the consumption on services, which were the reverse after 2022. Uh, we see housing prices still rising, and uh, uh, with the UAW strike, uh, it is close to an end with 25 ba- 25% raise in pay in the next four years to hourly workers. Uh, that is excluding benefits. Um, you know, the raise, the big raise is also an inflationary pressure that can bring, uh, you know, strong consumer spending. Uh, we do think that these strong signals out of the U.S. economy are not sustainable under the Fed's uh, higher for longer monetary policy. For example, the housing market, you know, with the um, the higher for longer interest rate policy, interest rate differentials will continue to limit resale inventories. Uh, imagine people who bought homes before 2022 and who locked in with 3% mortgage rates will uh, very unlikely to sell their uh, homes not and move and continue with uh, a 8% uh, mortgage rate now. So uh, we think that you know a mortgage rate climbing around 8% in the end of October will uh, continue to weigh on demand for housing and housing market activities. At PNC, we expect home price will drop by end of 2023, and we also expect a slowing wage growth, and, and we also expect uh, a hiking mortgage rate will not support further increase in uh, home price by end of this year. I was just taking notes because you just shared something that I don't think that people have actually even thought about. The fact if you purchased a home in 2022 and you got that great interest rate of 3%, there's no way you're going to move. You're going to sell your home for a higher interest rate. So, Ursung, I thank you for always joining us on Regionally Speaking, sharing great information about our economy, representing the PNC Financial Services Group. So I thank you for joining us and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you, Dee. Thanks for having me again. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to a new Indiana law, starting this year, all Hoosier High School seniors will need to complete the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or FAFSA. A goal of the law, which was signed last April, is ensure that students better understand and can have access to all the funding available to those who are headed to college. Joining us now to talk about this critical step for many high school seniors is Tammy Silverman, president of Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me back. Okay, Tammy, so as I shared in my opening, there's a new law on the books, and this month's column focuses on the college-age Hoosiers, and it's timely as many high school seniors are making their final decisions on their next steps, which might include what college or university they will attend. Now, your latest column is titled, Navigating College Student Aid, the New Better FAFSA. Talk about the importance of this application and it's serving as a gateway to financial aid assistance for college students. Yes. Well, we, we are excited that this year the, the better FAFSA is what they're calling it is, is in response to a lot of the things that feedback that has been given over the years. FAFSA can at times 
um, be complicated. It, it can be stress-inducing for families. And yet it is that crucial financial aid tool that really is the gateway to not only federal grant dollars, but state grants, loans, work-study programs, many high, higher ed institutions, many universities use it for some of those grants. And so we know that it's a necessity, right? And so we want, we're excited to hear that they're making it a little bit easier um, for folks to understand how to go about filling it out so that they can get those funds. Now, Tammy, as we are talking about this, I remember my oldest kids when they were applying for colleges and the FAFSA application being part of that process. And I remember dreading completing the application. I also <laughs> dreaded the renewal process because it, it was a lot. It's a lot of information, a lot of passwords that you need to remember, and a lot of details that you have to include in the application. It was not intuitive at all. And as you shared, the new better application is a lot easier. And with that, I also understand, and I, I want to make certain that our listening audience understands that there is a new deadline as well. Can you share information about that? Yes. So they're renewing, you know, they're, they're usually it would be out right now and they're delaying it a little bit so that they can update um, when, when it, it, you know, make all these updates and improvements. And then it's not going to be ready until later in the spring. So, you know, there is still plenty of time. One of the things that, you know, Dee, I want to just validate that you're not alone, that, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, when you hear that, when, when folks hear FAFSA, Many people think about complexity, deadlines, annual renewals, all the verifications, all the requests for information. Um, and, and most often, students and their families were, were often navigating that alone and or with some limited help. And so I think that's the other big news and headline is that the state legislature decided that all high school seniors should be filling it out because we're, you know, that way they can all get the benefit. Mm-hmm. And because it is a new requirement, there will also be more help with filling it out. So, you know, it's kind of, it can be perceived as like you have to, but everyone, most, most students were anyway. And we know that some of this was a big barrier. Filling out the FAFSA could be a big barrier for all of these funds and several million dollars we were leaving unclaimed. Indiana families last year left almost $70 million of Pell Grants unclaimed. Wow. Right. Wow. And that can make, I mean, think about $70 million can go a long way to help a lot of Hoosier students get, make their path to post-secondary, you know, whether it's a two or four-year institution. So I'm glad that you said that a lot of people may look at it as a have to complete the application process and it may be a bit, you know, intimidating. But when you think about the amount of money that was left on the table, if you will, that could have helped so many students that have to is a, is a must do it and just do it. So I just wanted to back you up and say to you that even though it was a pain for me for many, many years, it was also a blessing because my my two older students were able to gain access to so much money that we would not have otherwise known about. Terrific. Terrific. Well, and I think I think once you go through it and again, you know, uh, we haven't seen the exact form, but we do know that it has been made loud and clear and that a lot of folks have worked really hard to make it easier and to make this application process more streamlined. And so we want to make it easier and we want to make it accessible for all families 
Um, and so that's why we are partnering with the Indiana Commission for Higher Education to provide trainings around the state. So these trainings are for anyone working with high school students. And so they can learn about really how, how can we help support all of our high school students and particularly our seniors as they're filling out the FAFSA, as they're understanding and, and making sure that people are aware of the 21st century scholars, you know, talking to them about what do they need to make sure. You know, we used to talk about getting to college. And now we've really understood that we need kids to get to and through right. their post-secondary pathway. And so all of these initiatives and efforts from the update and FAFSA to the support to the trainings, all of those things are intended to help achieve that goal. Now, Tammy, I want to be honest with you. When I read this month's column, I had to pause for a moment when I read a staggering statistic about the decline in the number of Indiana students heading off to college. And I would like for you to just take a moment to unpack that a bit. Yeah, you know, I think that is surprising to a lot of people that Hoosier students heading to college has declined to 53%, so barely over half. Wow. And at the same time, as we're looking at particularly the jobs of the future, I mean, if you look at the lifetime earnings based on educational attainment, there is absolutely no doubt that particularly that bachelor's degree is a threshold over which not only is your current earning, but your lifetime earning and your and your lifetime wealth increases dramatically. In addition, as we look to the state's future economy, there's going to be a higher demand for more of those credentialed folks. So it's kind of a, you know, that the supply was going down, but the demand was going up. And that's why so many of us, IYI included, but certainly not alone, are really paying attention to say, how, how can we, again, make this accessible, make, make sure that kids are that want to go forward on this path are really finding the support that they need to be successful. So I understand there's a new partnership between IYI and the Indiana Commission of Higher Education. Can you take a moment to talk about that? Absolutely. You know, they've, they've, the commission, we call them the commission or ICHE, has been around for a long time and we've worked with them. Um, for many years on and off, but we're really diving deep with them right now to make sure that this information, and they're they're driving a lot of these um, improvements on FAFSA and the training, but to make sure that they're getting out to state to everyone that works with kids, right? And so oftentimes, uh, perhaps a couple of folks in the school system get this information, but maybe there's an after-school program and they don't know about these trainings or about these updates. So they can't help those kids. They can't reinforce it. And we certainly know that the getting kids ready to go off to, again, that two or four-year institution, man, it can take a lot of people, right? And so the more people we have working together, the better. So we are excited to dive deep with them on introducing the updated FAFSA and to make sure, again, that many, 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 many people, caring adults, understand it and can help support our kids. In the time that we have left, you know, at the start of our conversation, you discussed the complexity of the application process in the past. And I understand that there are a number of trainings that will be happening around the state to help everyone prepare for completing the application process. Can you take a moment to tell our listening audience about the upcoming training training dates across the state? Absolutely. So we're kind of doing the whole state. So we have several different areas from Lake County. Um, which is out there and available to Vandenberg, Marion, Allen, Miami, 
And then if you don't want to travel, if that doesn't work, those are all in person. We are doing a webinar that is free and open to anyone, as are any of our trainings, which is going to be happening on November 9th. And so, again, you can just go to IYI.org. It is open to anyone. Um, you know, we'd love to have you. It's free and accessible. Anyone that wants to learn about better FAFSA as well as the 21st century updates, that's what we'll be talking about. Tammy, again, to reiterate where our listening audience can find information on the upcoming training dates, as well as where our listening audience can take a look at the full column from you. IYI.org. It's all available for anyone that's interested, as well as there's contact information. If you do have follow-up questions, also at IYI.org, reach out and let us know what questions you have, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Absolutely. Tammy Silverman is the president and CEO of Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you, Dee. Thanks for caring about our kids. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. The Salvation Army's Bell Ringers, a longtime fixture outside malls and stores around the U.S., including South Lake Mall in Lake County, are a staple holiday tradition. The familiar Red Cattle Campaign's roots go back more than a century. The charitable organization relies on its Red Cattle Campaign's donations to raise enough money to help millions of Americans around the holidays. That's especially true this year, with so many people unemployed, underemployed, and otherwise facing higher monthly bills due to inflation. This year's Red Kettle Campaign goal is a total of $335,000, which includes $100,000 for Porter County, $100,000 at Hammond Monster, $75,000 for the Gary Miraville location, and $60,000 for the East Chicago location. Joining us now to talk about the campaign is Major Chris Marcus, Northwest Indiana Area Commander, serving Lake and Porter Counties. Major Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Major Chris, earlier in the show, I spoke with Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, and one of the points she wanted to be sure we honed in in our conversation was for neighbors to check on neighbors. And that means neighbors helping neighbors. And her reason for that appeal was because we discussed the startling statistics that show abject poverty in parts of the region, including here in Lake and Porter counties. Now, your organization has been supporting community members for countless years. So I want to start with this. With 90 cents of every dollar raised by the Salvation Army going right back to serving the community, how do you do it all? Well, I mean, we definitely can't do what we do without the help from the public, um, from people who believe in our mission and who want to partner with us in that mission. We are ever so grateful for each and every dollar that goes into the kettles at this time of year um, where it's most needed. And um, we know that the kettle campaign doesn't just help fund our operation during the months of November and December, but really it's our number one fundraiser for the year. So, you know, our kettle campaign is critical um, for us. It really helps us not only serve families and people in need during the holidays, but really em empowers us to start from a hopefully strong position starting in the new year, which will hopefully propel us forward in the coming months of the spring and even into the summer. So it's very important for us, and we put a lot of energy into it. So um, I think we can't do what we do without the donations from the public, for sure, but also from the time, like the time that people donate to stand at the kettles and help ring. 
Um, you know, without people actually standing at those buckets, they don't raise very much, if you haven't noticed. Um, we have empty buckets that sometimes are hanging there, you know, waiting for the next person to show, but they don't get very much traction without people standing there ringing the bell, smiling and talking to people. Um, that makes all the difference. So even for those people who can't give financially, you know, giving of your time is just as important and just as valued, and we appreciate it. I'm curious about another thing. So the Salvation Army has locations all over the country and abroad, and I would consider that the needs vary or, or are a bit different just depending on what part of the country or where you are on the map. So how do you focus the core mission of your organization specifically to the region? Well, obviously, every place is different. Um, I've been in rural communities with the Salvation Army. I've been in more urban areas as well. I even served seven years overseas in Tokyo, Japan for the Salvation Army, because as you pointed out, we're in over 130 countries. So it is quite a big thing to be a part of. Um, Here in Northwest Indiana, you know, I'm discovering that uh, we have a lot of issues to tackle. Um, Obviously, the inflation is getting worse. It doesn't seem to be lightening up quite so soon for folks. They're feeling the pinch. Um, Their money isn't going as far as it used to. Bills are very high, and um, cost of living has not necessarily kept up. Um, We know that that's been a real struggle for folks. Um, Obviously, we see a lot of migration as well, a lot of people from, you know, other states and regions kind of coming out this direction, which is increasing the demand on our social workers on the front line. So, yeah, we've we've definitely seen that even in our desks and in our offices. Mm -hmm. You know, again, not to refer to my conversation with Lieutenant Governor Crouch so much in our conversation, but that was Mm -hmm. another point that we discussed, this this sort of migration to northwest Indiana in particular in in terms of the the Hoosier state. And I did not even consider the social services aspect or the need for for additional services. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. Mm. It's something that we should all keen to to remember. Yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. We try to make those dollars stretch as far as we can. You know, earlier, I think you quoted like 90 cents of something of every dollar, you know, goes for direct service. I've been in some Salvation Armies where it was closer to 88 cents or something, but it's usually around that area. You know, we try to cut costs where we can in our budgets. We are on very tight budgets in the Northwest Indiana area. We are not, you know, spending lavishly. (laughs) We have to be very, very judicious with the funds to make them stretch as far as we can uh, to serve the most people in need. That's our goal. That's our mission, kind of our aspiration to be here. Um, But, you know, we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, A lot of our work that we're doing in our centers is food pantry, Um, It definitely can include potentially uh, rent and or utility assistance for families on a case-by-case basis. You know, we do have some federal funding that we get that helps with that a little bit. But honestly, you know, most of that is coming from the public and the local donors, the people that live in this area. Um, Without their support, you know, we're not able to help as many families. Um, We're getting ready now to gear up for the Angel Tree program, which is, you know, providing toys for kids that may not have it this Christmas. And um, already I saw on the platform amongst our four locations, we have like almost 2,000 children signed up to receive gifts. So we kind of have them signed up. We've filled our spots basically, but now we're really needing the help from the community to help provide the toys and, um, you know, provide the gifts so we can batch them up and hopefully make some children happier on Christmas than they would have been. So that's that's the goal. That's kind of what we're doing. Okay. So, so Major Chris, you're, you're here with me today because... If our listeners have not already, pretty soon they will see those iconic red kettlebells and hear that cheerful greeting of a volunteer, right? 
And I understand the Red Kettle campaign is, again, as you shared earlier, one of the most crucial fundraising initiatives for the Salvation Army. I want you to appeal to our listening audience right now and share why those that can should give to this campaign. Well, I think it's, you know, like you said earlier, neighbors helping neighbors. Um, We can help each other in a lot of different ways. For some people, they don't have the time to stand and give us a couple hours on their weeknight or a weekend, um, but they might be able to drop in a dollar here or a quarter there. You know, you'd be surprised how much that adds up. Um, I'm always amazed at how much even the coin adds up, let alone the dollar bills. We do like the dollar bills more than the coin. Those stretch farther. (laughs) They're a little easier to carry when we have to process them. But we're grateful for any gift that we get, no matter what, even if it's a few pennies from a kid coming out who just spent money on a sucker or a piece of candy and has a little bit of pocket change left. It's so encouraging to see even young people wanting to give back, uh, seeing that modeled from their parents or their grandparents. We have some families that ring together, um, you know, friends that ring with each other, students that are trying to get credit hours for their classes and their projects. And it's just nice to see a demographic spread amongst um, the older and the younger who want to give back to their community. Um, Again, even if they can't give financially, giving of one's time, you know, helping our neighbors in that way uh, is a very, very important thing. Um, it's, It's good to get in the spirit of doing that. I think it's good for our youth and our children to learn that early so that it can be modeled throughout their entire life. It's good to see that, um, you know, that representation, I think, across the spectrum. Yeah. You know, you you were speaking about, you know, every little bit helps. Every penny, every quarter helps. And, you know, I, I want to share with you, I have a time or two found myself sadly having to tell a Red Kettle campaign volunteer that, unfortunately, I'm not able to donate at this time because I simply just don't carry cash. But I was excited to hear that the Salvation Army has a fix for that. So tell our listening audience how they can still donate to volunteers, even if they don't have cash on them. Yeah, absolutely. We we do notice that it's becoming more of a thing, even for the older generation, not just the younger generation of, um, I don't carry a lot of cash anymore. I kind of just do things by card. At all of our kettle signs, you're going to notice these QR codes on them. Um, It's usually at the very top of the red pole, um, and there will be two QR codes on both sides of the sign. And if you scan that with your phone, just using your camera function, I think it'll take you right to that virtual kettle page. And you can give a gift uh, digitally in that way, just using the QR code, uh, which will benefit, um, you know, your local Salvation Army who has that store in that location. We also have a keyword that you can text. Um, It's Northwest. It's just one word, Northwest. You can text it to 24365, uh, again, 24365. And uh, that's the way that you can give by texting uh, that we recently set up. So that's also another way you can give if you don't carry cash or coin in your pocket. We're speaking with Major Chris Marcus, Northwest Indiana Area Commander with the Salvation Army. So, Major Chris, again, you mentioned this earlier. But, you know, for many Hoosiers, including right here in the region, the financial ripple effects of the pandemic can still be felt for so many families being faced with struggling to pay their bills, keep food on the table. And now, as the holidays approach, worrying about what toy they can put under the Christmas tree for the little ones. But that's where your organization steps in again. So you spoke about this program earlier, but again, tell us about the Salvation Army Yearly Angel Tree Program and how those that are listening can give directly to that program. Absolutely. Um, you can talk with any of our core officers or the staff members at our locations. We do have some tags that are being printed and made up right now. 
uh, which will have those lists and those wish lists from the kids that signed up. Uh, we also have some tags that may be hanging in local trees in your stores. Uh, Walmart is one of our biggest partners. They're preparing to set up some tags in their trees and their customer service centers. So some of your Walmarts may have that. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can also request tags from our offices directly. Um, if you don't want to shop by tag and you just want to buy some toys and donate them for the cause to help us supply our racks and, you know, to fill the spaces and the extra gaps in the, in the children's lines, uh, you can definitely bring in brand new toys, unwrapped toys, so that we can sort them by age and category. Makes our job easier when we have to fill the bags and, you know, prepare them for the kids. Uh, but you can bring those into any of our centers, um, and our officers and our staff would be happy to, you know, uh, thank you for that and put them where they need to go. So, Major Chris, in the time that we have left, I have to share this, and, and I'll be honest with you. You know, before our interview today, I really was not fully aware of all of the help that the Salvation Army offers. In addition to the red kettlebells for holiday giving that we all know, you spoke about how the Salvation Army helps community members beyond the Christmas season. And that means that community members can connect with your organization for rent and utility assistance. They also read about summer camps, LGBTQ plus support, and so much more. So for anyone listening now that would like more information on ways that they can help the Salvation Army continue its mission with either their time, their talent, and or their resources, how can they do so? The biggest way to help right now is to help with ringing um, the bells at different stores and locations. We have a website that you can go to. You can even access it right on your phone. And it's just registertoring.com. Um, it's registertoring.com. All one word. And it'll ask you to put your zip code in when you go there. And you can pick from a list of stores. You can pick your time and your location and the date. And, um, you know, you can fill in a spot and uh, it will send you a confirmation email. You just have to click all the way through and click the red finish button and you'll get your confirmation. And uh, that's a great way to help us. It alerts us that you'll be there. And then that alerts my team that we can deliver a kettle. We need to have a kettle at that place because you're waiting for us. And a bell and an apron will be left there for you to pick up as well. Again, I thank you so much for carving out time from your day. I know that this is the high season for the Salvation Army. And so I thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking, sharing all of the information about the Salvation Army. Yeah, our goal amongst our four locations all pooled together is to raise about $335,000 for the kettle season. So that's kind of our target that we're aiming for. And uh, we know with the community's help, we can go there and maybe even beyond. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for anything we can get to even get us close to the mark. So that's kind of the target, and that's what we're aiming for, and that's what we hope to raise. And hopefully the weather will be nicer to us this year. Um, Last year we had a hard time near the Christmas end of the season, our busiest days. That kind of hurt us last year, but we're hopeful the weather will be better this year. Well, Major Chris, we're all here at Lakeshore Public Media hoping for great weather as your countless volunteers stand at the iconic red kettles ringing the bells and getting sizable donations. So I I thank you for joining us today on Regionally Speaking. Uh, Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests from the Salvation Army, Commander Chris Marcus, Indiana's Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, from Indiana Youth Institute, President and CEO Tammy Silverman, and from PNC Financial Services Group, Economist Urshan Leong. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.